Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When it comes to feelings, if the first thing you say is, I'm feeling misunderstood, I'm feeling neglected in a conversation, I'm feeling like you're not listening to me, you're putting all the responsibility on that person. And you're basically automatically going to put that person into a defensive position because it's like, I'm feeling that way because of something that you did. Observing without evaluating is the highest form of human intelligence. And then he kind of dives into how hard it is for humans to do that. Do you feel like every time you have a meeting, nothing gets done? Mm -hmm. Can't come to a decision? Are you having a hard time coming to an agreement with people you work with? Maybe having a hard time agreeing with something with your spouse? There are few things as satisfying as coming out and saying, you're wrong, this is your fault. <laughs> Very few things. You're and, an idiot. And this is what we're going to talk about today. today are you an idiot? <laughs> Albert is exactly showing why not to do is that. Is this the best you can do? Yep. We are talking about nonviolent communication today, which oh, I just... Is that a good example? That was a pretty good example. Yeah, you're pretty violent in your communication. A violent communication. That's violent communication. <laughs> not a, not That's a, aggressive. Not. So so if you come out and start, just start saying, this is your fault, this sucks, you suck, I can't believe you turned this in, that's bad. You made me feel this, I'm feeling abandoned, I'm feeling all these things. Yes, those are some examples of violent communication. But let me back up to why we're even here and why I read this book and why we're talking about it. So I was listening to a podcast the other day with a CEO, and he said the number one book that he has all of his employees read is Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. And this is a book that I had heard about before, but more in regards to when it comes to solving conflicts between countries and in relationship, maybe with your, you know, your husband, your wife, your partner, whoever it is. And I didn't really think about it when it came to running a company well, employees, team members, your executives, whoever it might be, of like teaching them how to communicate well. So when the CEO said this was the number one book that he recommended all of his employees read, I went and dove into it again for a second time and put a different hat on thinking about like, how could this help, you know, mission or other people who are starting companies and want to build up a good culture and a good communication style. What industry is this person from? Well, the person, I can't remember what industry they're from, but I do know that when uh, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella came in in 2014, he had every executive on the team read this book because okay. it was a very toxic environment. There was a kind lot of, of a big deal. Yes, kind of a big deal that the Microsoft <laughs> CEO is like, every executive needs to read this because you all are not speaking to each other correctly. And you're speaking in a way that instead of getting information and getting facts, you're actually just blaming each other, even if you don't mean to. And so for nonviolent communication, for anyone who doesn't know what that is or hasn't looked into it yet, it's basically an approach to communication that focuses on building empathy up in the conversation first. So then you can actually have a productive conversation. So it's allowing people to speak in terms of what they're observing. They're talking about their own feelings. They're talking about what their own needs are and then maybe requests that they need to also like help the situation. Um, so maybe let's break down these four pieces of nonviolent communication um, because I think 
if you can learn how to do these pieces, they sound really easy. But as I started going into the details of this book of like these four steps, I realized me personally, I'm like, this is hard. It's hard to do these things. And I don't think most people think this way. Um, so let's go to the first one around observing. His whole thing around observing facts and basically keeping your observation separate from an evaluation. So observing something is saying, you know, Albert, you missed your deadline of turning something in. Like that's just an observation. But if you say Albert's lazy or Albert has not, you know, has not been performing because he's not hitting his deadlines, that's actually mixing the two together. That is adding on your own evaluation to it, mm. which can, it can instantly create defensiveness. It can instantly have you probably being like, whoa, 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 like I'm not lazy and you're going to have all these reasons of why you missed that deadline instead of just sticking first with just the facts of like what happened here. So that's step one, keeping the two separate, which I don't know about you, but when I think about almost anything in life, it's so quickly to have your brain create a story around something instead of just sticking in the facts of what is. Especially if you have track record with somebody, you can pigeonhole, you can pigeonhole somebody and, and just think that this is who they are. And so once you've done that to somebody, then it'll, that's the way your mind typically will go. So if you, if you feel like someone's not putting out good effort, then you'll always assume they're not putting out good effort. If you think some person is uh, learning, like maybe too slow to learn new things, then you'll always think they can't learn new things. And it's, that's a tough one because if you, when you play a negative trade on somebody, you tend to think that will be true at all times. Yep. Yep. And then it's, it's hard for that person to come back when they know that you feel that way about them, whether it be your employee, whether it be, you know, your life partner, whether it be a friend, it's pretty hard when they know you have that automatic judgment instead of just keeping the facts separate of like, let's just stay focused on you didn't do this thing. And that's that. Like, let's just stay there first instead of creating a whole bunch of stories around your personality and what else has been <laughs> happening. Um, and so that's the whole point of this step one is not pulling someone into a defensive state right away, which most conflict comes from that. Or it comes from a place where you're speaking about something and your either conscious or unconscious intent is to make them feel guilty, shameful, fearful, whatever it might be. Like you might lose your job. You might, you know, uh, I'm going to hold something against you as my partner. You shouldn't have done that. Like right away, it's like adding on your own ideas around right and wrong. Um, and the whole point of this communication style is not to actually do that. And he has a good quote in the book. Um, I think this is, it was from an Indian philosopher where he goes, observing without evaluating is the highest form of human intelligence. And then he kind of dives into how hard it is for humans to do that. So I'll pause there. But I think when observing many things in my life now, I know that me personally, I definitely mix those two together uh, quite often. And I can see how quickly a conversation can get out of hand because it's a hard way to start a conversation when you do that right away. It's a super tough thing to do. Uh, I know, especially when deadlines, I'll say, I'll say deadlines to, uh, and pressure typically change people. Um, and I, and no one I think wants to be, but just stress in general just makes people shorter, just sh short temper, shorter to judge quicker to, or quicker to judge, however you want to say it. And that's a big challenge. For sure. I do know that this, like, uh, so, someone else told it to me and it just stuck with me, uh, even though I can't remember who told it to me, but, like, 
when a person is playing defense, they're probably going to dig in. Meaning, once you get someone trying to defend what they've done, said, delivered, whatever it may be, they're never going to allow that to just be like their character, their intelligence, their, you know, like they, they're not going to allow it to just get rolled, especially in like the idea phase of any type of project. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's your idea. This is my idea. So you have no proof that it'll work. I also have no proof that it won't work. And if I start attacking your idea, it'll be really easy for you to dig in and be like, no, I'm not going to let you talk bad about my idea, whatever the case may be. And so this person taught me like from the, it was very early on. It's like you can never have someone play defense. And so the best way to play defense was to have people just try to explain, explain what where they're coming from, and see if you can add a add an and. It's like from that. I don't know if there's like a beer commercial or a chip commercial where the guy got through life just saying and. You know what I mean? Like meaning like this is a good idea and how do we also do this? So for example, if you thought, um, I'll give you an example in. Um, in production, right? If the budget is getting encroached, yeah, the easiest thing is to say, I want to cut your scene, Stephanie. I'm not asking why. I don't, I'm going to cut it. But then Stephanie wants to be in the production. So she says, wait a second. So she starts digging in saying, she defends her side. So then the so the better way, maybe, and, and I don't know if I have it right because I was introduced to nonviolent communication <laughs> few, 10 minutes, minutes ago. ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, the better way to come about it would be like, hey, listen, we are butting up against the budget. This scene looks expensive. How do we get it inside the budget? Like we have, you know, a thousand dollars to spend, and in your scene you have a Ferrari exploding. What else could happen? You know, <laughs> <laughs> trying to maybe that instead of saying like, oh, the Ferrari, it's got to, we got to cut that stuff. We got to yeah. cut it. It's no good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, so that's a good point. Getting into not using vague language too, um, because some of the examples, if you were to come and say this scene is expensive. Expensive yeah. is your own judgment on it. That's already you assigning value to actually something that is just a fact. You can just say, this scene cost $10,000 and yeah, the other scenes cost $1,000. And so yeah. those are just facts instead of assigning your own label of like, oh, this is expensive because that's just your own judgment of the right. facts. Right. And so if you come to it with that instead of this cost $10,000, it opens up for a better conversation because you're just working on facts instead of coming to someone with more violent language of like, you know, this is expensive. The first thing they're going to do, whoa, whoa, like I've been doing everything I can to control the budget and here's why it's expensive. And it's more defensive right off the bat instead of just starting from a place that's not pulling in the emotions and it's just observing and gathering more facts, more information to have a more productive conversation. And I will add, it has an and component. The second way to approach that problem, which is I'm asking the person who not responsible for the problem, but like the other person in the side of the negotiation that I need their input and help to solve this problem. And how do we get it? Like, let's how, do, so this actually came up recently um, in one of the other companies there were making a TV show called office Joe. And I was reading through the scripts and there's um, there's multiple car scenes, multiple car scenes on a budget shoot. And I talked to my partner, Nick, and I was like, how many of these can we cut? And he immediately was like, we need all of them. Okay. <laughs> and, and so that was his first reaction. We eventually got to a point where he said, I was like, okay, but if only one person could have a car, who would have it? And there's a scene where a character, he thinks it's critical to that. I was like, you think it's critical? Like, absolutely critical. I was like, is, is the next one critical? 
And then he started himself backing off like, okay, that one's not as critical. Mm-hmm. So it's, I didn't succeed in nonviolent communication because my first suggestion to him was just to cut them all. Yeah. Cut all the cars. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. failed. Yeah. But I mean, I think <laughs> when you, into a little bit of a headbutt. when you start seeing that pop up, you start seeing it everywhere where every conversation, whether it's work, colleagues, your wife, your husband, whatever it is, you start seeing how quickly a conversation can either escalate and become not productive at all or how you can just make it a very productive one and ultimately, you know, get towards the end goal of what you're looking for. Um, The other important piece about observation of just observing is also making sure that what you're hearing is accurate. Um, A big piece of this book was talking about how people basically talk past each other oftentimes and they don't really hear what the person's saying. And then they build a story, of course, off of what they actually hear. And by the time they're at the end of it, the facts aren't even in it anymore. And so when you're having a conversation with someone and you think it could be a trickier conversation, stopping and actually asking like, okay, what I'm hearing you say is you need all those car scenes. Is that what you're saying? And he might be like, well, no, I don't need all of them. Like, I just need the most of them. Okay. I'm hearing you need most of them. Like, what does most mean? And so making sure that you're replaying back what they're saying just so that they feel heard. And so you're actually getting it right because it is really easy to come with your own bias and then you're just both basically not speaking the same language. And then you get to the end of it and you're like, well, that was not productive at all and we've done nothing (laughs) since then. Do you have any examples for yourself? Yeah, I mean, I do this a lot. um, I mean, especially with my partner, Jeremy, now. I feel like we have learned a different way of communication because there were moments when I feel like we were just kind of like talking past each other and then he would get defensive and it was maybe because he didn't feel heard and his feelings, you know, weren't being expressed. And so now it's a lot more of like checking in early and yeah, being more cautious with my words because I think that oftentimes I was coming from a place that could automatically make him feel guilty about something or shameful about about what he did. How about an example? Yeah. I mean, mean, you could be a hypothetical example, but like, I think I understand, but at the same time I don't. Yeah. Yeah. So one example was Jeremy and I were trying to figure out vacation plans over Thanksgiving and he kind of wanted to do one thing and um, I didn't really want to do that thing. And, you know, we have a split family where he has a daughter with an amazing woman um, and we're all close and friends, but she's going one place and we're in another place and it can just kind of cause for a little like, okay, what are we all doing here? Because we have so many different players in our family unit that we need to think about. And so we were talking about Thanksgiving plans. And one thing that I said was that I was basically feeling is either neglected or misunderstood, something like that, where I was like, I didn't feel like he was listening to me. And the first thing where I'm like, I'm feeling misunderstood. And just using that word, who is it placing the blame on? I mean, if, if you told that to me and be like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, it's you know kind of I mean? placing like, the blame on you or it's on him right yeah, away. Yeah, or if yeah, I'm yeah. saying you, I'm feeling. If you, if, you, if you said I'm feeling misunderstood, like what, then I would immediately be like thinking, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean I don't understand something? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's where, I mean, this kind of gets into the second piece of like an emotional audit and getting into feelings. But so it's a perfect lead into the second part of nonviolent communication. But when it comes to feelings, if the first thing you say is. I'm feeling misunderstood. I'm feeling neglected in a conversation. I'm feeling like you're not listening to me. You're putting all the responsibility on that person. And you're basically 
automatically going to put that person into a defensive position because it's like, I'm feeling that way because of something that you did. Instead of trying to make sure, does that person hear you? And how can you kind of stick with the facts and not place blame right away of like, you did something wrong already in this conversation? It's maybe stopping and saying, okay, I'm saying this. Are you saying that? Like, are you saying you want to go here and do this where you're not going to be home for Thanksgiving? And then just waiting to see, like, is that actually what you're saying first? Yes or no? Okay, and then I'm saying I want to do this. And you're saying you don't want to do that, right? And so it's really just like unraveling the conversation from pointing fingers and just trying to actually get to the bottom of the truth. And then if you're not agreeing on something, it's just easier to work from that place because you understand you're trying to do this and I'm trying to do this. And you hear me, I feel heard, like you're you're listening to it and you know that now we're we're completely wanting to do different things. Um, that's step one. So getting your feelings out there, keeping the observations separate. And then after that, the third thing is getting into needs of a conversation. So you've gone through and you've done the observation, you've been listening, you've been keeping the things separate from like not evaluating, just observing. You get into your feelings and you actually say what a feeling is. So a feeling might say, I'm sad, like that's an actual feeling. But a lot of people use, they think they're saying a feeling, but it's actually not a feeling. Like saying like, I'm feeling neglected, that's not a feeling. That's you pointing blame on someone. But you can say, I'm feeling sad when, you know, hearing that like you don't want to spend Thanksgiving with me, that keeps those things separate. And it's not placing blame. It's just like, I'm feeling this way. And it's because of this, you know, because you're, you're not going to be here for Thanksgiving. Like that makes me feel sad. And then you can move into requests. So it's a whole four-step process of observe, voice your feelings, make sure they're actually feelings and not judgments or, um, yeah, basically you just like assigning labels onto things. And then a request at the very end, which we'll walk through those next three. But How long have you been, um, I guess, prioritizing this? I'd say the past couple months, actually, after we went through that emotional intelligence training that I've talked about a couple times on here, um, I started seeing the value of having better communication with everyone in my life, friends, family, colleagues. I mean, just like seeing how that is the source of almost all issues is miscommunication and desiring to want to get better at that. And also just, I mean, have fun learning together with Jeremy, with people in my life of like, how can we make this a better process so that we all feel heard, that our needs are getting met, that we're able to voice our requests when we have them in a way that's also not going to um, put all the responsibility on you or point the fingers at you or make a request that's actually a demand. That's a big thing they talked about in the book, too. Of like if you're making a request, oftentimes people come and make a request of something, but it's actually a demand. And then if that person says no, then they're like, well, fuck you then. Like I said, <laughs> I, I tried to go through the process and I gave you my request at the end and my request was for you to spend Thanksgiving with me. And you said, no, like if that's how you're coming off, then that's actually a demand. It's not a request. Um, and so I think just thinking through things a bit differently of like, yeah, just seeing this pop up in different areas of my life made me want to kind of go down this path of like, how can we have better communication? Um, which, you know, is many different things that we're doing, but this book was a great one that, um, surfaced a lot of things in how I was communicating. And this is a little bit off topic, but still to the topic. Do you feel like prior that you have a lot of conflict in your, just between friends or uh, your partner? Or did you, like, did you feel like you had a lot of conflict or something? 
I think that it's not always conflict, but it's that conversations maybe weren't as productive as they could be. And things maybe weren't getting done in the way that I thought they should be getting done. Um, so it was more of that. And of course, I mean, yes, in my partnership with Jeremy, there's definitely conflict. I mean, when you're co-parenting and, you know, <laughs> each other's kids and you have all these dynamics and all the personal stuff that I've been dealing with. I mean, our relationship was like in a pressure cooker for the past year. And so that can also bring up a lot of emotions. It can bring up a lot of like different ways of handling situations where he might want to handle something one way and I want to handle it a different way. And I want to parent the kids in one way and then he wants to parent them in another way. And so there's just, I think, a lot of chances for emotions to get high in our relationship because of all the different dynamics. And so, yeah, there was definitely conversations that I was like, oh, th that could have been avoided had we found empathy first and had he felt heard and I was just listening without judging what he was saying. Um, and if he can express his feelings around things in a way that's not making me feel like I did something to him and vice versa, like I can express it to him and he doesn't take it personally. And then making that request at the end of like, you know, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to, you know, this year do this instead. And then next year we can do that. And if he says yes, great. And if he says no, that's also okay. And like learning how to, um, yeah, basically not teach. Because if you come to someone with a demand and you get mad that they didn't do what you wanted, it's going to train them to be nervous uh, to actually stand up for themselves and say what they want. Because they're like, man, last time I told Steph, no, she fucking went off on me. And like, <laughs> she didn't talk to me for a week. And so that's something that I think is also just easy to do when you go through a process like this where you're like, I made my request and you're the one who has to meet it. Actually, no, they don't have to meet it. It's still your request and you get to figure out a way to meet your own needs. And if that person can and you can figure out how are they going to be happy to meeting those and they're going to be excited to help meet that need, great. But if not, like it's up to you to figure that out. And so, I mean, there's so many examples where maybe one person in a, you know, in a relationship wants to go out and do something and the other one doesn't. And it could maybe turn into like, hey, you don't want to spend time with me. And my need is I want you to be here and I want you to go out with me and do that thing. And that's where I think a lot of just issues can pop up because you're like forcing that need and expecting that person to be the one who's going to provide it all for you. I'm just curious. I, yeah. I, I always like hearing hearing where I guess certain things may be coming from or came from or, or so on. Yep. In general, yeah. like I know this sounds so bad when I say it in, 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 cause it sounds vain or possibly self. I don't know how it sounds, but in general, I don't look to improve. It sounds crazy. I, I generally don't really look to improve myself. I know you <laughs> like, don't. That's like, why we're here. But totally different. If there's a problem, if there's a problem, then I usually think, Oh, okay. I should probably get better at that or something like that. So I've never thought about this. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, but I don't for one sec. I've clearly I use violent communication. Uh, <laughs> probably, dude, not, not good. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so I, probably, I mean, now that I'm hearing it and learning about it, I'm like, well, I probably you know need like, like a full on college curriculum over it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's why this stuff's interesting because once, once you learn about it, it's not like you're always going to do things perfect. But I do think it's interesting to be like, man, I'm having this issue with a colleague with, you know, this person's like, I keep telling them to do this thing. And then they keep doing it wrong, like over yeah. and over. I mean, we've seen that before where like, we literally gave you the playbook and you didn't, you did it wrong again. And so I think there's just times where you, when you 
have this knowledge of like how communication can either be productive or not and how it can like help accelerate something or not and what are your goals and intentions behind a conversation and how might you be making that other person feel like when you start at least being aware of that there might be areas where you're like oh yeah that thing at you know diesel jack could have gone better yeah and i see why we were butting heads now instead of being like you're dumb my i'm right like <laughs> how can you just make that go more smoothly next time and you know obviously he wasn't feeling hurt at first and yeah uh, oh that wasn't a big fight but i could see yeah. how it, it eventually got solved through i guess nonviolent communication methods mm -hmm. it eventually got solved that way yeah. I'm thinking about, I'm actually, as you're talking, I'm starting to think about myself and I've just realized, I'm, I mean, I've, I've always known, but like this further as conversation further cements it. I in general have not attempted to make any type of relationship with someone who I think is sensitive. Yeah. I, I, I've just never even tried. You know what I mean? Like once I think someone is sensitive, I'm just like, I don't want to talk to them. Mm -hmm. Um, which probably bad uh because there's probably be, like people in my life that that i could have helped or who could have helped me but in general i would say like as soon as i thought someone was needy or sensitive which is like you said it's an opinion or a mm -hmm. judgment or like you said yeah and i just didn't really associate them that includes girls uh, yeah you know people well i don't people think it's about sensitive people as much as because i think me, a lot of people interpretation like, yeah yeah i mean i think for this because there are people that you will get around and they will be constantly triggered and constantly <laughs> defensive. And that's not really what this is. Like that's on them that's to true. not give their power away. I mean, if you're constantly getting triggered by everything that happens in life to you, you are just taking all your power and giving it to that person. If someone comes up to you and gives you the middle finger and it throws your whole day off, you literally gave your power away to that person. And that's not a place that is very helpful. So I think that's, that's a different kind of person who's just like constantly upset and taking things personally. They okay. should go read uh, The Four Agreements, where it literally says, don't take anything personally. Really good book. Um, but this is more about people like honoring emotions in people. Everyone has emotions, and especially men. Like The people that you're friends with, they're probably not doing this because they're not used to people even asking them about their feelings and their needs. And you might just see the aftermath of someone maybe being frustrated or annoyed or making like a side comment or something like you just might see the little passive aggressive things or whatever that could look like. I mean, everyone's different, but this is more of like, how do you pull out the vulnerability in people to actually understand like how they're feeling? And I mean, especially maybe for your wife, like going through those things to actually understand how she's feeling and checking on her and seeing if her needs are being met and seeing if she has any requests. I mean, I wouldn't call her sensitive, you know, I wouldn't call her like super sensitive, but it's literally stopping and checking in and without her just, you know, having a side comment of like, yeah, but it'd be nice if you could freaking do that laundry. <laughs> like instead of that, like stopping and going through kind of the steps with her to be like, okay, how's she actually doing? How does she feel? What needs oh, is she needing? And like, does she have any requests of me? So as I've emotional said, intelligence when you start talking i do start thinking i'm like man it's probably not going to be pleasant but <laughs> that conversation yeah. i mean it'd be that i have it would be interesting like going to her and just just seeing what comes up i mean how many years have y'all been together where you haven't do done I this prevent, now how do i prevent laughing in her face <laughs> if you do that you are uh yeah in definitely many forms uh, of violent communication so i hope she I know. just i know <laughs> but I have a bad, that's a, it's like a, I default to laughing a lot. Yeah. Well, that just means that you are uncomfortable 
with the emotions of like being in that space of hearing someone else be uncomfortable maybe probably yeah you ain't wrong yeah i don't know well i I don't do well when people tell me like oh you know my dad's dying and stuff i'm like oh shit yeah (laughs) because typically that's how i deal with it yeah i i think it's i'd be interested to hear you try this out and come back and report back or if you're just starting like now that you know this you are equipped with new knowledge if you're going out into the world and you're like, huh, I can see this popping up. Or if you're just witnessing it in other people where you're like, I see people unable to communicate. Like I see, you know, hockey moms at a hockey thing. Just like I see people at PTA unable to talk about something so simple as, you know, X, Y, or Z. Like what should be painted on the rock? Yeah, just like it'd be interesting to see if you start <laughs> noticing more of that and like why communication's failing. Because, I mean, this this guy, Marshall, who wrote this book, I mean, he was literally helping countries work together, countries who've been at war for like decades, come together, tribes. I mean, that's where this whole method came from, was him helping guide them through this meth- uh, this whole method and seeing how much they were just having this violent communication where, of course, nothing was getting done. So um, I did want to shift into another piece of the book that I did find really interesting that I think would be a good piece to send people off for like a little bit of homework after this. A homework assignment? Yeah, okay. yeah. So one of the pieces in the book was around um, taking full responsibility with our words. And the example they gave, which I thought was pretty powerful, they were talking about a teacher in a school district. And she was essentially talking about how she didn't like giving grades. Like, I don't like giving grades because I don't think it's fair. It's not personalized. How does anyone learn anything? Well, just stick with me. Okay. So she's saying, I don't like giving grades because, you know, it's not personalized to the student and I don't want to do this, but I have to, I have to, because the school system makes me like, that's what they operate within. So I have to do it. And the whole thing in this book is that's not taking responsibility. That's giving away your responsibility and being like, I have to do this because the school system. And so instead he says, shift the word around and ask yourself, what do you want that is making you give those grades? What do you want out of it? And then she shifts her language. She's like, well, I still don't like giving grades because of blah, blah, blah. But I give grades because I want my job. And instantly it takes it from a place of it's not my responsibility. I'm just doing it because I have to. To no, I'm doing it because I actually am choosing to do it because I want this job. Like it is my choice. Everything is my choice. Everything around me is by choice. I don't have to do anything. And I'm choosing to do this because I want the outcome of having this job. And so I thought this was really interesting because this shift of language is something I've actually been doing for six months. And I think we may have talked about it a while ago around anything that's like, I have to do this. It's I get to do this. And even with my kids taking this language of, okay, we have to go to school. Like in the mornings, we're like, no, we get to go to school. We get to, you know, do it, go to the doctor. We get to do these things. We're choosing to do these things. And it's, you know, I'm taking full responsibility for anything that we're doing. It's like, it's by choice. I don't have to do these things. And so in the book, he said, write down a list of all the things that you have to do. And it can be a long list. I have to drive my kids to school. I have to work at this job because, you know, because it gives me money, like write down your whole have to list of everything in life that you think you're having to do. And then change out the word, I choose to do this because I want this. And so go through your list and change that to like, I choose to take my kids to school because I want that extra time with them in the morning. 
because I want, you know, whatever it might be. I choose to work at this place because I want that extra $1,000 a month. And you go through and after you start seeing what that list is, it was really interesting for me because a lot of some of the things I was like, oh, I don't have to do that um, because the thing that I want from it actually isn't that important to me. Or I don't, I'm not going to choose to do that anymore because the amount of money it's making me isn't actually that important to me. I could do a lot of other things that would give me that money for something I like, I might like even more, like it might provide for me in a better way. And so this was really, I think, it, it definitely kind of changed my perspective. And I did do this quite a few months ago, but it changed my perspective around how people talk about things, how I was talking about things and shifting it to a place of full responsibility and then making the list of things just to see, is there anything that I just want to cut off this list and realize like, I don't have to do any of these things. It's all by choice. And is the reason I'm doing it good enough to keep doing it? Or is there an alternative? The, the, is that, is that from what's Jeremy's sister's name again? Carla, Carly. Carly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She talks like that. Oh, I mean, well. You don't have to, you get to. Yeah. That's so funny. It's not that, happening to me. It's happening for, for me. me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I try shifting that language for like a week or two and just see. Cause I probably would be better off if I did because yeah, like I get to go I to the, think, I get to go to the grocery think. store. I get to go and get gas. Like you're so blessed to be able to do that, honestly. And so many people are like, Oh, I have to get groceries. You are blessed to get groceries. Like you're, blessed to have the funds to be able to do that. You're blessed to be able to fill up your car with gas. You're blessed to have that time with your kid and make a sandwich for them. Or if you don't think that the outcome is good enough to do that thing, then figure out another way because it's your life and you have 100% responsibility 100% of the time. Anything that's happening in front of you is because of you. Like you are literally creating your reality every single second and you get a chance to shift it if you want to. So you don't have to do anything. It's funny you mentioned that because uh, right now the, you know, the conflict going on inside of the Gaza Strip, Israel versus Palestine, people are taking sides, whatever. A lot of, a lot of people are thinking about stuff. But anyways, the, the point is my kids, they obviously see it on the news too now. And they were looking at from the most, you know, sad perspective, which is what what is the, what are the kids of Palestine going through? And... The first thing I said was beyond whether or not we can do anything for them. The big thing I was thinking is like, this is why your life is so immeasurably good. You can't even begin to think like you don't recognize literally just by default of being born in America, like hundreds of million, maybe more kids would change places with you in the drop of that, like they wouldn't even blink. They would say yes. To, so like these things that you think, like you said, are problems that are holding you down, weighing you down, stressing you out, making you negative at work, home, whatever. They are not actual problems. Like real people have way harder things to deal with. And uh, I agree. Like the, we, I think a lot of times we allow the little things to bother us too much. I know I'm guilty like that. The, the, what happened to my, <laughs> You know, when you say it out loud, like no one felt empathy for me. It's like, oh, your yeah. second house, yeah, a water break, womp, womp. insurance so sad. conflict isn't currently resolved. Yeah, it's like, are you broke now? No. Are you? Did you lose it? Did anyone lose their life? No. Yeah. Is it? Do you have a house? Do you have a uh, house yeah, with it's... windows? 
Do you my have health care? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like no one cares. Like you, so I st- I stopped being like so. I'm you know of course, it's annoying, but like you're right, it it really doesn't matter. It does. I mean, it do- not that it doesn't matter. It's shouldn't be enough to ruin like basically two months. Like I was angry for two months. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, <laughs> what's interesting about, I mean, I know I keep saying this like giving your power away. But I mean, I've really gotten into this because of all the things that have happened to me over the past couple of years of like, how often am I giving my power away of my emotions to let it influence the rest of my day, the rest of my week? And you were literally giving that situation so much power where it was making your days bad. And that was all up to you. You know, you yeah. could have just been like, yeah. I'll deal with the situation when it comes. Here it is. Okay. I did everything I can today. In another week from now, I'll handle it then, but it's not going to influence my days and how I'm showing up to my family and work. And just, it is what it is. And this is something that's here for some reason and who knows why, but oftentimes there's also some interesting teaching moments and some pretty terrible, terrible, our version of terrible. I mean, it's not even any bit terrible, but in those bad, tricky moments, there's sometimes good teaching moments. There's different perspective shifts. There's just different ways that you just pivot into a whole different life after that. And so I think that's also something that I've kind of seen with when bad things happen. Like, is there something to learn from this? This is here in front of me now. So like, what can I learn from this? How big or small, whatever kind of moment it is. Um, and then how do I get to shift myself out of that so that every moment I can decide what my day is going to look like and what my life's going to look like instead of letting something else run my whole life, which is your emotions and being victim to your emotions and being like, now I feel bad. Now everything's bad around me. Um, and that's being, yeah, victim being a victim to that. All right. How many hours of practice before you're a master? Oh man. Lifetime, lifetime yeah, of practice. Yeah. I think it's probably well, one of them Zen Buddha things. Yeah. Well, what is interesting is I'd say, you know, most things as they always say, like 21 days to form a habit. And I think that once you start speaking differently, just changing that one word. So you're just like, I get to do this in all areas of your life. If you do that for about two weeks, it's pretty hard to undo it and go back to the way that you were speaking because it's, it just shifts your whole mindset. And it really does bring a different sense of gratitude towards everything that you get to do in life and everything that is, you know, all the experiences that you're getting to do, whatever they might be walking out to your mailbox. Like that's great. I'm, I get to go out to my mailbox and get my mail because people want to send mail to me and I get to go outside <laughs> and I get to breathe this fresh air. And it's a safe environment. Like I get to do that. And well, that's a little too much for me, but because <laughs> but, also those things don't bring me down. But for sure, I will agree with you on you are absolutely right when things actually like get you down. You know what I mean? There are certain things that get people down that just shouldn't. Yep. Yeah. 100% on that. Yeah. So we got some Mitch homework. <laughs> yeah. You're meeting me. You're meeting me. You'll be thinking about things differently from here. I can tell. What if but, I forget? Well, <laughs> Which is also highly probable. Thankfully, we talk a lot. So, and I'm going to check in on you and see if you did this oh, and went oh, through man. it. But, All right, Jen. Yep. Jen, he's coming for you. He's going to be a better husband. He promises. I, I Wait, okay. Better is a judgment. I could he's going to show up differently. Like, she's, I could just see her rolling out a scroll. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and I hope when she does, you hold space for her and you let her get it all out. All of it. It's a big scroll. Yeah, that's a big ass girl. Okay. Yeah, let's just do it. And see, yeah, I, I think I want to hear how this goes. I really hope you do at least experiment with it and try. And she might be very weirded out at first because she hasn't seen this 
side of you, but I do think it'd be interesting. Um, but to quickly, I know we're at the end of our episode. I do want to quickly summarize these four steps for anyone who's like, I forgot what you guys were even talking about. So the four steps to nonviolent communication. First, observation. So making sure you are observing without evaluating. Observing without adding on your own judgment or your own story around just a fact or what's actually happening. Step two, emotional audit. Voice how you're feeling, but actual feelings, not labels, not, you know, things that are going to make the other person feel defensive because they're the ones who are making you feel that way. Like actual feelings. I'm sad. I'm happy. I'm scared. Like check in on feelings and make sure you stick with just feelings. Step three is listing out the needs. Like what needs do you have? And it doesn't have to be from that person. It's just you have certain needs and here's what the needs look like. Step four is requests. And requests are actually requests, not demands. You don't go into a conversation with expectations of you better meet this request or else, because then that's a demand. Um, it's actually being unattached to if that person can meet them or not, because it's not up to that person. It's just if they want to meet them, they can. So just a complete request. So that's the four steps. And then the responsibility piece that we were talking about, check in on your words and your language and see, you know, are you giving your responsibility away by saying, oh, I have to do this. I have to do this thing. Switch it out and say, I'm doing this because I want this. I get to do this. Change your language, write down your list of things and let us know what comes up when you're doing that. Uh, I hope it's productive like it was for me and yeah, let us know. There you go. All I have to do is unravel uh, 43 years of bad habits. You can do it. How hard can it be? 